We have actually uh, measured 80 to 90 different aroma volatiles of washed process coffees. Some of the more exotic coffees, naturals, carbonic maceration naturals, we measured 120 to 130. So we can see clearly that by doing uh, heavy fermentation coffees, that of course we are encouraging new aroma volatiles that we do not have in a washed coffee. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101, your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about coffee. We go through coffee's educational journey chronologically. So if you're looking for what I call seed to shelf, I would say go to season one. And if you're going from shelf to sip, then you're in the right spot. You're in season two. And today is a very special day. Katie, I have like pretty famous guy in the coffee world, Sasha Sestick. Nice. I know I kind of gave you a little background about him, uh-huh. but like in the coffee world, I, I would say he he would he would not say this about himself, but I would say he's kind of an icon. Yeah. Um, as far as like. You know, when you look at the accolades that he has built up over the years, um, of course, well, he's not originally from Australia, and we could get into that if you want. Um, I think it's kind of cool, though, because, like, from what I've heard so far, he has, like, an Australian accent, but it's also, like, Scottish, sort it's of. something, yeah. Or, like, whatever. Yeah, it, so it has Serbian. Else, like, mixed into it. Yeah, so, so originally from Serbia, then... Serbia, then Bosnia, um, yes, and then eventually he has been in Australia for for quite some time since uh, there were um, all of the issues several years ago in right. Bosnia. He was in the Olympics, mm-hmm. like of all crazy things. He was a handball player, yeah. which we're not used to. We don't know as much about in the U.S., but is a very contact sport. Um and supposedly, even today, like his vertical, like his vertical jump, yeah, is like unrivaled. Dang! Like if you look at his size, you're like, there's no way he can jump that high. He's a man of many skills. Yes, and so he got eventually to the point that you know he was kind of, um, you know, out of the um, handball competitive like uh-huh. range and he'll I think he goes into it in our interview yeah um but you know those guys it, it's a rough game and so they retire fairly early but anyway right. um he then went full steam ahead into coffee and if anybody wanted to really see the beautiful story uh behind that there's a documentary that came out a few years ago called The Coffee Man. Uh-huh. And it is great. It's about um, Sasha and his uh, pursuit for a better cup or even the best cup of espresso. So, anyway. Very cool. Yeah. I'm excited for this interview. Yeah, he's a cool dude. And um, what we're going to be talking about today is Paragon, which he has had... Um, has led the way in many areas, I think, in coffee. Like when he won the um, 
not just Australia, but the World Barista Championship yeah. uh, in 2015 when it was in Seattle. It's quite um, an achievement. It is. It's, it's like, yeah, in, especially in the coffee world. That's like a big, big, big deal. Uh-huh. Um, he introduced carbonic maceration as a processing method for coffee, and he has continued to innovate, um, and he's got a great team behind him, uh-huh. um, and he has uh, Ona uh, Coffee in Australia um, that has several locations. And more recently... And I really found this intriguing, and so I wanted to get him on the show um, to talk about it, was uh-huh. Paragon. So we will put the link in the show notes, but there's Paragon and there's Paragon Espresso. And several of the competitors for the um, World Barista Championships used this this past year. And think of it, I don't want to steal the thunder of the interview, but think of it as basically like this sphere. Uh-huh or ball, that if you have a pour-over, um, or for Paragon Espresso, if, you know, the actual drip from the espresso, uh, and it would be, say, frozen. Right. And then as your your coffee drips from your pour-over or your espresso, but before it hits the cup, it hits this, and what it does is it locks in the uh, some volatile aromatics. Ooh. Yep, fancy words. Um, that otherwise you would lose in the air mm-hmm. before you actually um, got them in in the cup because yeah. because the coffee itself would be hot enough that those those volatiles would go would go into the air and you would lose them. Yeah. But doing this. And Sasha goes into in the episode that, you know, they actually, you know, did research on this and actually have data, but you capture more, you keep more aromatics in the coffee by stopping that process and those things escaping. Does that make sense? Yeah, and kind so, of, but he probably explains it a little better. Are you saying later. I don't explain it good? No, 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 I'm saying like, I'm saying like, okay, now you've got me confused. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. As soon as I said that, I was like, he's going to like think I'm making fun of him. No, but seriously, listen. So um, it would make the cup fruitier. Ooh. So, um, but, but well, I don't, I guess I don't want to steal the thunder of the interview. There, there's another aspect for darker roast or for the back end uh-huh. of a, um, um, when you're doing, say, a pour-over or the espresso it- itself, when when you're thinking about body, uh-huh. um, there's some, some things to say there, but I'm not going to say them here because okay. I want them to be said in the actual interview. I got you. Um, so, you know, we said we're going to start going to the streets as far as, like, looking at reviews. The streets? I say to the streets. Uh-huh. Looking at reviews and... Um, uh, if people leave comments or questions. So I wanted to pull up um, real quick. Uh, somebody, this is from Espressly. Espressly? Espressly. Espress. Dang. See the pun there? Grateful. Espressly. Grateful. Ha ha. Get it? Ha ha ha. Thanks so much for your informative and fun podcast about coffee. Oh, that's nice. And especially for the episode on the mocha pots. 
I've had mine for years, but learned some useful things about it in the episode. And it's great fun to hear you and your Australian guest yes. try to switch accents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was, was funny. Pretty hilarious. And then they ended it with good day, y'all. Good day, y'all. Good day, y'all. We should do that. I mean, that works. Good day. Hey, good day, y'all. Uh, oh, I don't know what <laughs> kind of accent nor. that was. Or no. Or no. Or no. Good day, y'all. Um, so. I think we should just jump right into the episode. I agree. I really I found this fascinating, idea. and I loved uh, talking to Sasha, and uh, yeah. I appreciated him spending a little time. So let's jump into the episode with Sasha Sestic, and we're going to talk about Paragon. Sweet. All right, Sasha, got you on the show. Thank you for having me, Chance. And um, so this is a really cool little device or tool or toy or however you want to say it for um brewing coffee and so uh paragon and you know to me and you'll have to explain it to me better but like like i the the concept i guess is that you're you're taking and you're you're trapping all of these uh, volatiles are these these that would be aromatics, um, and you're getting it into the coffee. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about uh, kind of the idea behind um, Paragon, and we'll also talk about Paragon Espresso and yep. kind of what it is, because a lot of people uh, that are listening have no idea what I'm talking about, so we'll have to start from ground zero, kind of explain what it yep. is, why it is, why it's important to coffee, and how it makes a better cup. Yeah, cool. All right, well, this this can be a couple of minutes answer. It can be longer, so I'll, I'll try to I'll try to go step back, and uh, as opposed to just talking about Paragon or extract chilling technique, as we call it. Um, just to kind of break down the coffee in a, in a bit more sort of depth. Normally, when we when we tasting coffee, uh, we have non-volatiles, non-volatile aromavolatiles, non-volatile um, compounds, and then we can usually measure them throughout, um, you know, TDS. Um, we we can use refractometer. Uh, then we have a calculation, and we can um, sort of see how much we are extracting out of the coffee. And all, all of them, they you know, we have a different uh, organic acids we have a uh, you know the caffeine alkaloids and lipids and proteins and on and on and on uh, but when we talk about aroma volatile compounds um, we can't really test them with uh, extraction uh, or, or TDS it's uh, uh, generally they are the aromas that evaporate so they they cannot be tested with this method so we usually would use a uh, gastromatography uh, so we, we're using a guesses or the aromas out of the out of the coffee, and we we capturing them, and then we we kind of seeing what sort of uh, and how many different aroma volatiles this particular beverage has. Um, when we talk about coffee, uh, we we actually people say there's about over one thousand different aroma volatile compounds. Mm. Uh, people say that there's about four hundred different aroma volatiles in a, in a wine. So therefore, coffee is a lot more complex. Uh, that possibly is true, possibly is not, we don't know. Uh, but what we can say for a fact, with my collaboration with the Zurich University of Applied Science and Coffee Excellence Center, Professor Chahan, Samo, and the team, 
that we have measured with so many different coffees that uh, got throughout the gastromatography that we have actually uh, measured 80 to 90 different aroma volatiles of wash process coffees. And some of the more exotic coffees, naturals, carbonic maceration naturals, we measured 120 to 130. So we can see clearly that by doing uh, heavy fermentation coffees, that, of course, we are encouraging new aroma volatiles that we do not have in a wash coffee. Mm. Um, so, so then we wanted to go deeper. Okay, well, what does this mean? How many of them can we taste? Uh, so we normally would be able to taste what we call aromas above threshold. Uh, so anything that we call above threshold, it means we can smell, we can sort of, and that smell will impact of what we're tasting as well. Right. Um, so there's about 30 of them that we would normally detect to go, ah, oh, we can actually smell something that reminds us of, let's say, uh, rose water. And, uh, but that rose water is the aroma volatile compound that is most likely called, you know, there's a, quite a few of them, but it possibly could be one that's called beta demacenone. Now that's when things get interesting because we can have beta demacenone aroma volatile compound that's just below threshold. Uh-huh. So we go, well, this coffee doesn't have a rose. But then we can do certain things with the processing as well as a brewing, and that aroma volatile compound we can push to be above threshold, and suddenly we can smell rose, and we can taste rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, because 80 to 90% of what we taste, it's coming from nose. Right. <laughs> you know, usually when we, when we drink something and taste something, we have a flu, we can't smell anything, we can't taste anything. You know, food yeah. taste dull. Uh, but um, maybe, um, obviously, with, uh, when we you know, can smell everything and we can breathe and we feel healthy, then we, we can actually taste more as well. So I've gone full circle, but I think it's important to, to kind of have this understanding. So as we go deeper and we talk a little bit about Paragon, we can reference back to this you know, aroma volatiles. We can reference back to the threshold. And one thing I wanted to add is that when we're tasting a particular flavor, it could be like maybe raspberry candy notes, um, this can happen because we have a uh, one or several aroma volatile compounds that are giving us that taste. Uh-huh. So sometimes we need two or three, even four aroma volatile compounds in combination to give us a specific taste. Uh, sometimes we have uh, also one particular aroma volatile, like the, the one I mentioned, beta demacenone, that actually with the intensity of that aroma volatile, it changes the how it smells. So better the masinone would, um, in a particular intensity, would remind us of rose water. But if it has even high intensity, it reminds us of smoke, mm. and which is so different because rose water in the coffee, we go, oh, this is a really cool note. It's exciting. Yeah. Smoke, it's not necessarily as exciting. Uh-huh, right. yeah. uh, so with the intensity, some of them would dramatically change. And sometimes it requires the family of different aroma volatiles to give us the new taste. And all, all of that, uh, I guess, made us think, well, how do we capture more? You know, what do, we, what do we need to do that we can get more of the particular aroma volatiles? But then we started breaking them down. Well, we have a light aroma volatile compound. Uh, they have, um, you know, um, obviously low atomic pressure. And we have a heavy aroma volatile compound. So the lighter ones are the ones that are easier to evaporate. They are easier to lose. And um, they are the ones that most of them are giving us fruity and floral notes. The heavy aroma volatile compounds, they do not evaporate as easy. Well, let me ask you this. Um, and, so so with mm-hmm. that, um, 
when you say that they evaporate, if if we were at any point with the dry grounds or with the brewing or with the cup itself, is there any point in there where we would smell those before they're gone? Uh, absolutely. Okay. 100%. Yeah. So the great, great point. And now we're kind of going to start entering a bit of extraction, right? Yeah. So when we're extracting the coffee, uh, when we're extracting coffee with a cold temperature, like let's t- think of the cold brews at a moment. A lot of the cold brew coffees that we have a coffee, we have a water, it sits in a cold temperature overnight. Uh, we will not get as many aroma volatile compounds with a cold temperature brewing as opposed to hot temperature brewing. So the hotter we brew, the more aroma volatile compounds we'll get. Mm. It possibly, not possibly, but it makes sense when we have a lot of our cold brews, we be tasting a lot of chocolatey notes, a lot of citrus notes, but not necessarily these small aroma volatiles that are so hard to get because they, they're just not you know engaged with that uh, style of extraction. So the hotter we brew, the more access to extract more aroma volatile compounds we have. In the same time, as we brew these coffees and this coffee is traveling from the spout to the cup or from our V60 to um, carafe, Mm-hmm. Because of that really hot temperature, that hot temperature when it's traveling from the spout to the cup, it's evaporating and losing this aroma volatiles. Mm. Uh, because of the really really hot temperatures, the it's it's gone uh, together with the you know uh, what's the right word? Not the smoke, but the, the steam coming from yeah, the, like from evaporates, the coffee, right? yeah, yeah, evaporates. Yeah. So that's why when we are brewing our you know beautiful V60s, yes, room smells beautiful. Uh, and it's amazing how uh, who's brewing what, but all of these aroma volatiles are kind of gone. Mm. Uh, we want to capture we want to capture them in a beverage, and this is where the studies with uh, Professor Jahan and um, you know Coffee Excellence Center in, in Zurich started to see how do we capture more? How, because we know we can extract more, but in the same time we know that we're losing more during that extraction, just after the extraction, and and this is where we wanted to focus on a post uh, extraction variable. So we're not really interrupting the extraction. We extract coffee however we normally do. Uh, but from the spout in the espresso or from the bottom of the V60 paper, uh, we wanted to see if we cool down that beverage slightly, can we capture more aroma volatiles or can we lose less uh, as opposed to um, having that hot beverage uh, going all the way to the cup and we are um, we sort of losing these volatiles. So let me ask you this. So when you say capturing aroma volatiles, would it be that those aromas would stay longer with the cup or would the cup itself taste different because those did not evaporate in the first place or or both? Does that make sense? Both. Both. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it's both. I think okay. both, both of your angles make, make, make perfect sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So that, that, that's how the story started. Like, I mean, there, there's a, I can talk about, you know, why and how we started for, for a long time, but in the interest of time, we can move on and, and discuss other things. Um, so for our one on ers out mm-hmm. there who have not seen uh, this, and we'll put a link in the show notes, uh, but if you were to just look up Paragon or uh, Paragon pour-over kit or something like that, uh, then you'll see what we're talking about. It looks kind of like a 
like a science experiment, and uh, one of the keys to the actual um, setup is this little uh, ball where if you did have a pour-over, whether that's a Hardy V60 or a Kalita Wave or whatever, um, as soon as that coffee comes out there, but before it gets to your cup, it hits this ball that has been chilled. So tell us, tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. that. And I know it's, it's a specific metal, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of reasoning behind a lot of this. So, so go into that a little bit. Yeah, great. So the, the the first idea actually came after after conversation with Professor Jahan to go, well, in a, in a past, we used to freeze espresso cups. We've done it several times. Back in 2017, when one of our competitors, Hugh Kelly, competed in World Barista Championships, we had this frozen cup, and, and this, his coffee was you know crazy aromatic, was tasting amazing. Uh, that finished number one in the world in espresso in the first round, number one in the world in, a, in with the espresso in the semifinals. Um, but we we actually thought the reason why coffee is that good because we done this new processing carbonic maceration natural process first time ever. So we did not really give the attributes that we were getting this crazy crazy aromatics because of the cold cup. Mm-hmm. So obviously from the spout coffee is traveling all the way to the cup. Uh, so it, you know, maybe this this far. So we are losing some volatiles in this part, but at least when the coffee touches the cold cup, that helped to capture more aroma volatiles. We did not know much about it back then. In the same time, in 2016, Berg Wu, our uh, world champion, he decided to cool the spouts in order to get more flavors. Mm. And I, I was lucky enough to taste his coffee in the finals of WBC champion. Championships, he was best espresso of the competition for that year. And I remember smelling the cup and it was insanely jasmine-like. So we didn't get the new flavors, but this jasmine note, we just managed to push it so much above the threshold, or he's done. Uh, so discussing that with Professor Chahan, discussing our experience, experience about the Berg Wu, he said, well, let, let's do some sign testing here and, and some of the, some of the, does this really, you know, work scientifically? So we've, we've decided to, you know, just freeze something, freeze a cup of glass full of water, just to see, are we, are we seeing a sensory differences uh, on in, you know, one that we cooled, one that we didn't cool. And we told, well, let's use some rocks. If you have a round shape, the, the espresso part is just going to go one direction, as opposed to having a beautiful round, round shape that the espresso goes all over the rock. So it's going to be thin a layer of the espresso coming through, helping to further cool it just because of the shape of the coffee, uh, shape of the uh, material. Um, then, okay, let's look at the gels inside to make sure that it can freeze really fast, that it can keep, keep that colder temperature for longer. Let's look at the size of the rock and on and on and on. Uh, and, and then also we also looked at it, how actually cold does this rock need to be? Does it need to be sitting in a freezer of minus 50 degrees, of minus 40, minus 30? Where's the threshold? And we've learned that, um, that, that we managed to get, mac- using this method, obviously maximum amount of aroma volatiles in minus 10 degrees, minus 20, minus 30 to minus 50. There was no difference. Okay. So we thought, well, if we keep these rocks in normal freezers, it's okay. We don't have to be keeping it in um, you know, dry ice where we have maybe minus 55 or, or, or freezers that are used in um, medicine that are like minus 69 or something like that. Yeah. You know, minus 20 is okay. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a good enough. So we kind of gone for that you know, entire journey uh, during uh, 2020, 2021, um, 
COVID times, you know, you, you at home or in a little lab, so you, you can go crazy. And, uh, and we sort of, in Australia, what we were doing is uh, because we don't have the equipment and the knowledge how to scientifically test it. But in Australia, we were relying ourselves on uh, being a baristas and just do a lot of sensory testing where we have one barista uh, making coffee A, coffee B, uh, one with chill rocks, one without, and then um, doing repetitions, repetitions, till we could have a, a pretty strong sort of um, conclusions out of it. And we've learned that most of these uh, light aroma volatile compounds, they're actually extracted at the beginning of the extraction. Uh, so yeah. most of the baristas would sort of um, extract first 10, 12, 14 grams of the coffee, of the espresso. And then the remaining part of the extraction, they would sort of not extract chill. Uh, so as you as you mentioned, the um, USA Barista Champion uh, used it in WBC, and I believe he was extracting 12 to 15 grams, only first 15 grams. Okay. But on the other hand, Boram, uh, he, uh, World Barista Champion, also used the extract chilling technique and the Paragon, and Boram uh, has run the entire extraction through mm-hmm. the rocks. Okay. Uh, so because he obviously found the differences in a heavy aroma volatiles that uh, made a positive impact. Stick with us. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101. All right, 101ers. So you can see, listening to Sasha, that there's, like, he jives with the rest of us as far as, like, love for coffee education and for pushing the envelope of where coffee can go and... Humble coffee is like that as well. And so we're, we're always trying to figure out, okay, what can we do to make a better cup and ultimately make it worth what you pay for the cup so that ultimately it does two things. One, you like coffee either the same or better, and we're able to sustainably allow the farmer and their family to to live um and so that's kind of part of what we're doing not just humble coffee and not just what we're doing with coffee 101 but there's great people out there in the world like sasha um who are doing stuff like that and so i think that's a good thing and um just find ways that you can support people that and and companies that are that are doing those things to serve others out there in the world so that's my soapbox for today all right let's get back to the show with sasha sestic so what sasha is talking about here is in the uh current year in the world barista championships there were several uh, competitors who used Paragon as a kind of, I don't know if you even call it a spinoff product, but another product called Paragon Espresso. Uh, but basically, exact same concept. They're using a, a little frozen uh, ball, um, and it's you know basically placed over right below uh, where they would pull the shots. And um, Isaiah Sheath, who was the U.S., person he was saying is um extracted you know most of that i'm as i understand 
but maybe not the tail end. And then the person who yeah. won, um, I guess, extracted all the way with uh, with the yeah. little uh, Paragon yeah. espresso. So super cool yeah. as far as like a, a new way to think about, you know, what we can do with coffee um you know and i know you're a yep. guy um uh, just like a lot of us who are trying to figure out uh day in and day out how, you know what can we do to make uh things better with coffee yep. um and you know started uh, probably even before this but i'll say started in 2015 with um you went in the world barista championship congratulations with uh, I, I would say one of the big things in that was carbonic maceration as a processing method. Um, so always trying to figure out new new ways to kind of push the envelope. So I think it's cool. Yeah, it's. I mean, cold coffee is so exciting for all of us. We love it. We love it because it's so mysterious and uh, and so complex. And, uh, and, you know, for, for all of us, the more we know about the coffee, the more we realize there's so much more to learn. And it's, there's obviously a lot of, lot of great opportunities to keep exploring and keep, you know, keep pushing the envelope, as you said. Yep. Okay, so we talked about Paragon, and we talked about Paragon Espresso. Super awesome things that are pushing the envelope for coffee. But I want to ask you about handball. I don't know anything about handball. <laughs> Uh, but I know that you know a heck of a lot about handball and that you have a, like, wicked jump um, or vertical. Um, so, like, like give, me, like, give me the I am dumb and explain to me what handball is and yep. go. Just tell me. Yeah, sounds good. So, handball, I, I kind of tried to connect a couple sports with handball. It's like water polo. Uh, but no water, so yeah. you know, in, it's soccer with hands, right? Uh, and uh, it's indoor sports, so we have, we have uh, goals like sim. I mean, it's the same same side scored as indoor soccer. So when we when we say soccer with hands, let's not think of the big soccer or big field. It's indoor soccer, uh-huh. um, same goals, and uh, and uh, we we just yeah, using a hand as opposed to um, uh, feet. And the the goal, I, I guess, the main thing with the handball is that there's a lot of contact sports. As long as it's body to body, you you can make as many fouls as you would like, um, and um, a lot of vertical jumping yeah. as well. And uh, it's a pretty hard hard pace, so not not usual for you know. I, I mean, I stopped. I came to Australia as a as a national or as an athlete, professional handball player. I was lucky enough to play Olympic Games in 20, uh, Sydney 2000. I played several world championships for Australia as well. And when I was 23, 24, I retired. Yeah. Um, I retired early and I jumped into the coffee. And I have not really watched and been in handball for, for many years. Uh, as But 2020, we had a 20-year reunion since um, Olympic Games. Yeah. And something inside of me kind of, I want to get back into it. Uh, so yeah, I've been enjoying it for the last two years, loving it. Uh, we actually have a handball training soon in a couple hours. Yeah, and uh, yeah, looking forward, to looking after my body as much as I can, so I can play as long as possible. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, t- well, tell me, like, what's your worst handball injury that you've ever had? Uh, probably now. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, I, I think my body is too old for these sports, to be honest. <laughs> you know, like usually handball players, they retire when they're 28, 30, 31, 32. Yeah. Uh, it's very physical. There's, there's, there's a lot of side movements and, um, you know, joints are hurting a lot. Uh, so my um, pelvis is a little bit um, off center. <laughs> yeah. And I've been I've been working like a very very old man for the last few weeks. So it's 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 probably currently now. My wife has been telling me every day you should stop, you gotta yeah. look after yourself. And well, I kind of don't want to stop. Yeah, no, you're you're probably like me. So um, I would say my side thing is I love running, uh, and, yeah. and and I like I like still being feeling like I'm competitive. You know, for my age group, I'm 44. Um, and I usually can place in most, um, you know, races that I go to. Um, but, I, but I, you know, I'll get injuries and most of the time I just kind of, you know, just kind of push through them. Uh, but I can tell that my body is not what it was, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Like recovering is a hard, like recovery. Like we had a national tournament last weekend, Yeah, uh, five games in four days. And oh my God, waking up in the morning—it's—it's it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> falling asleep—it's hard. Like well, recoveries are really hard these days. You know, and the good yeah. thing with uh, loving coffee um, is the antioxidants, anti-inflammatories. So that helps a little bit. Um, but speaking of coffee, before I let you go, uh, tell us a little bit about for any of our Australian listeners. Um, tell us about Ona coffee uh yeah well this year we're celebrating 15 years of honor so it's it's a huge year for us huge milestone uh we've been lucky enough to to um throughout canberra sydney melbourne all of our venues and um you know enjoy and celebrate these moments with our customers with our loved ones with our friends people that have been supporting us for a long time or again not not for a long time but they they enjoy what we do so it's it's just been nice to be actually this year to be reflect our beginnings, you know, how we've started from our little garage back at home with my wife and myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife being pregnant with our first girl and packaging coffee in our little place, you know, two man band, and um, and to see where we are now, it's you know amazing team. I, I feel lucky and privileged that I have a you know we have a dream team in a company, and I, I just you know this is the biggest asset of our company, people that we have. Uh, they they made us who we are, and and most of the leaders in Ona Coffee they they had a humble beginning like myself, and we we just connected because we love coffee so much. We've shared this journey of learning, enjoying, and lately maybe sharing ideas about the industry and what we um, what we think we we can do more. Uh, so yeah, it's been it's been great. Also this week we're celebrating the first um, opening of a new shop in Sydney. Uh-huh. Uh, we've been working on that project for the last four years, and it's finally started uh, last Monday. So we're really excited to share maybe what we feel it's elevated uh, version of Honor Coffee. The three separate bars, very curated, very personal experience, with, mm. you know, 30, 40, 50 coffees on offer. Uh, but um, kind of trying to create that environment that, yeah, coffee can be more than just a beverage, than just a tasty coffee, but it's an experience and um so we're putting quite a bit of effort, not to mimic what fine dining restaurants are doing uh, with, with the food, but yeah, beverage is amazing. And it's, you know, the taste of coffee, it's it's super, super important. We're going to keep chasing that perfection. Anyone that's in Australia, would, yeah, if, if you're around Sydney, feel free to have a look and um, we'd love to share coffee with you. 
Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, um, you know, we have not through this podcast, but through some other stuff I do, we have talked about like in a world where, and I don't know how it is in Australia, but, but in the U S in a world where, um, everything is going to drive through as far as like the mass of where coffee is going and where people are getting coffee. Like, mm-hmm. like, like how do we reconcile, um, yeah. bringing them back into what I would call community and, and yeah, actually community. speaking to each other. Um, and yep. uh, and doing it over a beautiful cup of coffee, and I don't have the answer to that. Yeah. But that's that's why people yeah. like you and others are out there in the world. It, it's a, it's a great point, but you know we we started like as as I mentioned with Ona Coffee, everything was so small. We could at the beginning we could afford only small coffee shops, small rents. Yeah, everything was like so. That it had that community vibe, and then we go, oh, we're getting busier. Let's get a bigger shop. Let's extend. And then suddenly we're having these big, big shops, uh, but we sort of, we felt we lost a bit of the connection. Mm. Uh, and then we go, now after 15 years, let, let's go for that back full circle. Now let, let's actually, you know, bring that community back. Let's see. It, it's great to make amazing coffee and it's great to sell amazing coffee, but the best moments are when we are sharing that amazing coffee with someone at that experience. You know, and when the customer tastes the coffee and then and then you can have a chat and you can discuss the flavors and you can talk through it, it makes it a lot more personal uh, rather than, hey, there's your coffee, enjoy it, and I'll kind of, I'll come and top up you what in 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so um, so we, we, we pretty, we kind of now, 15 years later going, back, oh, well, let's now start making our shops again, smaller, more community-driven, yeah. <laughs> more personal. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Yeah. Well, um, listen, I, I had it was a pleasure talking with you, and I appreciate you coming on, Sasha. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for listening. Isn't he a nice guy? He seems super sweet. I want to meet him, like in person. I think he's gracious enough that absolutely, if we went to um, where he lives in Australia, he would be like, yeah, come on, mate. Let's. I mean, if he's down here, I mean... Yeah. Come to our house. Don't yeah, know why he would be down here, but yeah. So Sasha, if you're ever in the southeast United States and you're looking for a place to stay or a free meal, then Hit just holler up, and uh, Mate. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we would love to host you. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's good, and I really like that uh, he didn't just like throw random stuff out there right. as if it's truth, but actually like did the day to dive and like um you know really went into it um as far as the numbers go because i don't know people could say that's just a theory and i don't believe you but then if you have data you know it's hard to yeah so anyway i think i'll be getting one of those uh just to try it out sometime uh and i have used one before and what I'd really like to do is do like a comparison. Yeah. You know, a cup that doesn't have it and a cup that does um, and just see. And the same thing with espresso. Because I was even thinking with espresso that we could probably um, at the bar at Humble HQ, uh-huh. we could probably, you know, play around with that a little bit as far as like seeing if that'll accent 
um, kind of the more fruity notes and maybe a little body on the back end, uh, especially for just a straight up double shot espresso. Right. I think that would be, be cool. super fascinating. Yeah. But anyway. That's all the time we have today, 101ers. We loved hanging out with you, and we need you to do two things for us. One thing y'all have actually, the one thing one thing I can't tell, uh, just looking at the data that we have, is if you are telling a friend. Um, so we're just trusting that you are. Um, so, you know, scouts honor type of stuff. And the other thing is leaving a rating. Uh, y'all have actually uh, picked up and uh, are doing more and more of that and we really appreciate it and like we have started saying and doing in the intro um if you have questions let us know bro yeah anything any kind of question then we would be happy to answer um so yeah leave that in the comment section of the rating and we will try to go back through that so anyway I digress. Love y'all. See you next time on Coffee 101.